So You Want to Be an Artist is now on YouTube as a video series too. So if anyone prefers watching their podcasts and conversations, then head over to YouTube, the So You Want to Be an Artist YouTube channel. And this episode is now live on there too. I know you're weary and I've worn you out, but you can rest your mind here and take your trainers off and I apologize. I should have approached this differently. We said we'd be honest with each other, so I guess you make me feel like the unrequited lover. I don't want to follow you around until you find the truth, but I'd rather not kiss every stranger until I find you. Can't you just appear in my hands and I'll carry you instead? There's planets in my palms. If you get bored of my skin, I mean you change with the moon. Habitual rituals. Your smile in that light is my only residual. The first time we met, did you go home and think of me too? Our silence settles strangely now and self-consciousness is heavy, I know. People overthink things, women wreak havoc, men implode. But don't trouble yourself with my opinions. Just remember me in the morning and carry me home. So paranoid that everything recording. <laughs> Honestly, I'm the worst. And then a bit of composure juice. Yeah. Always necessary. First of the day. These are quite fancy coasters, really, aren't they? They are. Ikea. 75p jobs. Oh. Get yourself down there. Yeah. I might just do it this way. I mean, that's a risky game. Why? That is a risky game. It's not risky. All right. Because then mean, it won't it won't like lift up every time. You're the one who'll be turned into a meme if it does end up falling over. <laughs> Not me. How are you doing? You right? I'm good. I'm good, thank you. We've done one of these before, haven't we? We have. <laughs> and you messed it up. I did fuck it up completely. As soon as we finished recording, I pressed stop. And it said temporary files will be deleted. And yeah. I was like, will they? And they did. Yeah. We and tried that to was get it. the engineering. And it was gone, banished. Although we did have 20 minutes, you said. Yeah. Which, or so. Which, but you were like, no, I'm not releasing it if no. it's not the whole thing. No, if it's not two hours, if it's not <laughs> overindulgent, I don't want it. <laughs> but we're here now we're here. and a lot has changed. How long ago was that? I guess that was like two or three years ago. Yeah, we were at um, Red Bull Studios. Mm -hmm. If that marks any time frame for you. But no, it's all the blur, <laughs> to be honest. It's um, all in the past. Yeah, it was a long time ago. So much has changed that you're now eight yes, and a half months pregnant? Eight, eight, eight months. Okay. Yeah. And when I um, thought about kicking off the podcast again, I was like, that is such a wild perspective to be seeing the world through. Yeah. I need to have a conversation with you. And I'll probably want to have one, you know, two weeks after you've popped it out. Yeah. And be like, so, so. what is art now <laughs> to you? Yeah. I mean, it's something that I know I'll never be able to... Even come close to comprehending. So I guess this conversation is uh, my first foray into some kind of understanding. That's a nice know. word. Foray? Yeah. Yeah, thank you. I, d I know one other person who had a kid. That was Cyan. Mm -hmm. Who I was like quite close to mm. and like was kind of uh, there when it was all happening. Yeah. And I think for her, she was kind of just like, I just don't want to talk about it. Like, yeah. I just want to just do it. Um, but I think that was more like everyday life stuff. I'm, I enjoy speaking about it, though. 
Well, that's good. I'm as intrigued as everyone else, I guess. Mm. Because when it's your, like, first experience as well, Mm. you still have all the questions and the need for answers as other people Mm. who will never be pregnant or aren't pregnant yet. I guess also it's, like, kind of, like, such a direct path to honesty and sincerity mm-hmm. as well it's like because you can't be anything other than that if you really want to figure out what's yeah. actually going on you have to be so present in yeah it. yeah yeah exactly but before we get into any more questions i have to ask you now mm-hmm. a few weeks away from being with child <laughs> yes what what is art i think yeah now i think it's patience you know I've come to that. Um, I've come to that, yeah, answer and understanding um, during this period of time. Because it's like being pregnant, you actually have to, you're waiting for something every day. And for the most part of the pregnancy, it feels very slow and very long and quite boring because you're waiting for something. And then you just kind of have to, it's kind of in the same way that you see your plants grow. And like every week or every two weeks, there'll be a new leaf. And then gradually over time, it's twice as big as it was when you got it. So for you. And you never like, do you know what I mean? You don't judge that process. Yeah. You just let it happen. And so every day, you know, like uh, this baby is getting bigger or now it can open its eyes. Now it can hear. Mm. Now it can do this. And um in relation to art in that way, I think it's just oh, some banging. If That's you a guys baby can kicking, hear that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in relation to art, I think it's just important to see your work that way hmm. as well, which is what I've felt mostly. And I haven't been, it's kind of taken away my impulse to rush or the need to I don't know, try and play catch up with anyone or compare yourself to anyone else's work or else's journey, which I knew anyway, but then it just made it really easy to practice that, I guess. Did that come as a revelation for you then? Like, obviously, it slowly unfolded as as a new information, but before... The pregnancy or whatever were you in a rush where did you feel I like i need to get things out without yeah. properly letting them form yeah i kind of i always was aware that i shouldn't <laughs> think that way and you shouldn't compare and you shouldn't do this and i was actively trying not to and um i think in a lot of ways i had got to some kind of point where i wasn't doing that um but still I had that like 20%, 30% that was still kind of behaving in that way. Mm. And um, yeah, and I always had, had this need to like create and put something out. And I always used to ask myself like, why am I doing this? Am I doing this because I need to actually create or am I doing this to show other people that I'm still working? And it's actually quite hard to figure that out, like wh- why, <laughs> which one you're doing. And it might be both, which is why it's hard to figure out. Um, and then yeah during pregnancy it wasn't like I had this big revelation but it just kind of it just kind of happened naturally it's almost like reaching that place when you're young or like when you're really old where you just don't I'm allowed to swear of course you are Uh, (laughs) (laughs) where you just don't like give a fuck about anything 
it's kind of feels like that when mm. people are like, oh, you don't care when you're, when you got grey hairs, you'll stop caring. It's almost that being in that space or what I imagine that space to be. Mm. So um, the ticket to liberation is a baby. Yeah. Okay, I get it now. <laughs> I understand the population boom in the last, <laughs> last couple of generations. <laughs> But then this has come in tandem with you writing your first feature. Yes. Which is like a scary coincidence. Yeah. Or like a very necessary coincidence. Yeah, I think the timing's been really great, actually, because I started... I did the first draft before I, knew I was before I was pregnant. And then at that point, I wasn't even applying for eye features. I didn't know I was going to apply for it. And then we did apply for it, and then we got it. And with eye features, it's like... You don't need, so they're not expecting a first draft from me till January. And so obviously the draft I have at the moment is changing, is going to change dramatically and is in the process of being changed dramatically. But that has helped me so much because if I had to write a first draft now from scratch, I don't know how I would be able to do that yeah. as effectively as I would have been just because he's due in yeah, like five weeks. Yeah. You'd, and that have been stressed. and then there's Christmas and there's everything else. Do you mm. know what I mean? So, yeah, it would have been a lot of stuff. So I'm happy I've got that working draft and that structure that I can mold. Mm. Um, pardon me. In yeah, instead of starting from the beginning. So the timing's actually been really perfect, especially money wise because you get paid for it. Like they have a development fund for us. Oh, amazing. So yeah, I get paid to write basically, and I've just shot series two of enterprise congratulations thanks which was fun doing while i was pregnant yeah um so yeah timing wise it's been it really good character they did i told them really early yeah really early is that a way of securing yourself into the second season be like look <laughs> i mean i'm pregnant now this is a great storyline <laughs> i just i didn't know because first i thought that we might be able to hide it because we usually shoot in june so last week the pilot and season one we shot in june july so I thought, don't do that. Sorry. If I do do that, just... Because <laughs> it just scares me. <laughs> I just have to do it every now and then, just to make sure. Sorry. So I thought, um, yeah, we'd be able to hide the bump. But then they said they were shooting in September. Mm. And I was like, oh, well... Well, in that case... By the way... <laughs> going to have to get the writing team back together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, but yeah, really grateful and blessed to be able to have done that. So are you able to speak about what the feature's about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. What's the feature about? <laughs> it is called Surviving Earth, World Working Title. Um, and it is a drama set in current present-day Bristol about Vlad, who is a Serbian immigrant who fled the Yugoslav wars after serving a year in the military police. And... As a result of that, he was an addict. So he came to Bristol and um, got clean and became a drug counsellor himself and started his own Balkan band, At which which is the point where we meet him in the film. What's a Balkan band? Balkan music is like gypsy. Oh, okay, okay. Like an actual band. Like yeah, that. band, like gypsy, jazzy, funky, crazy stuff. <laughs> and yeah, it's based on my dad. Um... And so, yeah, the point we meet him in the film is that point where he's now a drug counsellor and he's starting his own band in Bristol and he's still trying to navigate his trauma and his, like, kind of addiction that still lies beneath the surface. Um, and 
as he helps other people through counseling and through music, he's still kind of dealing with his own stuff. Mm. So what was the main motivation for you wanting to tell this story? I guess through my short films, I've always kind of tried to tell some aspects of trauma through like a young person's perspective, which wasn't at all to do with that story. The, ex because, the experience of trauma or the, the resolution yeah, because of trauma? My dad died in 2015 from a heroin overdose. So I was like, and I was 21. So, and we weren't expecting it. So we didn't know he was, we thought he was clean at the time. I didn't know he was using, he was like highly functioning. So nobody really knew. Um, so I guess dealing with that shock at that age, I kind of, as I got through it, or as I was trying to work through it, I was also just interested in how, yeah, like, 20 something year olds deal with that specific thing and just trauma in general whatever that may be um so i tried to explore that with my shorts without actually touching on the real story mm. i was just trying to find other ways to do it yeah figure out the but then whenever i told I anyone about my dad they were always like oh he sounds like such an interesting person and da -da -da -da. and i would tell the story i just told you um, and people would always want to know more. So then I thought, why don't I just <laughs> tell this story as a film? Mm. Were you aware of your initial short films? Were you aware of that this was your process of understanding how you were ultimately going to tell the most important story of your life up to that point? No, no. I was just... I guess I was just figuring... I was just making what I wanted to make... And I guess in hindsight, I was able to kind of be like, oh, all of these stories are under this topic. And what a coincidence. Yeah. And like, <laughs> oh, let me decode that. Yeah. <laughs> Why am I doing that? Well, it's so interesting that your creative desire and creative urge was to reconcile some understanding of yourself and your own experiences, mm -hmm. even without when you finally step back from it, you're like, oh, Jesus, that's what I was subconsciously doing yeah, yeah, without yeah. even knowing that I wanted to do it. And this, yeah. when, uh, I mean, I've had moments like that with songs. Like I wrote a song that I put out in her hands. Mm -hmm. I wrote that when I thought I was in love with somebody. Mm. And then I actually fell in love with somebody and listened to it again. And it was like, oh, Jesus Christ. Like It hit me <laughs> in a way that was so different. And I was like, oh, I was putting it out there what I really wanted yeah, yeah, at yeah. that time. Mm. And then... It wasn't until like maybe a year or even two years after I released the song. And I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. Like I was trying to guide myself towards what I needed. Yeah, what, yeah, yeah. It was like, well, how did I even know I needed that? You know, it's like I, I didn't even know, but I knew. And it's mm -hmm. such a mind-bending... Thing to realise. And also like things to understand about art and why we are mm. who we are and why we do what we do. And so, sometimes it's just like inconceivable... I understand completely your point about process mm. um, and there is art in the process and the process is an art form in itself but then ultimately the product of it or wherever it's guiding you to is a whole other conversation to be had mm. and I think that's sometimes what I try to nail down in these conversations is like where where, where is it guiding us to you know mm. after the what do you look like on the other side of this film yeah after surviving earth like ultimately it's it's a story about your dad surviving his experiences mm -hmm. but it's also 
a story about Thea and surviving her experiences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what does that look like, mm. you know, on the other side of reconciliation and mm. understanding and ultimately compassion? What, what do you think you might look like? And it's tied in as well with the, with the child. It's I know, like, it's like, I don't know. That's a the thing is, it's like I always... Love. I always tell... If I'm when I'm giving advice to other people, it's always I always it's like don't think of it's hard because there's always this balance with making stuff where because you're getting money from other people, they always want to know who is this for, where's this going, what yeah. are your plans for it, blah blah blah. But then that messes up your creative process. So it's hard as much as you need to think about things like that you also shouldn't mm. because you can't let like what you think it might achieve affect how you create it mm. because then you end up with something like maybe that wouldn't be as authentic as it would have been if you just kind of let yourself do well similar to what we do were the work. just saying of like mm unconsciously we know where we need to go mm. and consciously we think we know where yeah, we yeah, need yeah, to yeah, go yeah, yeah, yeah. and if we try to you know steer it towards what we think we'll end up perverting the, its yeah, natural course exactly um so just letting whatever is guiding yeah. guide and essentially just follow mm-hmm. you know maybe what is art it's just a guide a compass yeah uh, a map of some sort to guide you where oh well you don't know, I know until you don't you do know it. until you're there and you never know it's like when i always have this conversation with my partner because he's a musician it's like when we talk about people who like are trying to create like oh let's all get in a studio and oh we need to make this hit we need to make this hit and it's like no one knows what is if it's gonna be a hit mm. it's like you don't decide that mm. The people decide that yeah. once you release whatever. You can make it an is. impression of a hit. Yeah. I've been in <laughs> I've been in sessions that are like that. And there's just an A and R who's like who's failed at every attempt to try and make <laughs> a hit ever. Yeah. Because that is the intention. Yeah. And when you try to say, look, you, we don't know what a hit is, you know, you just yeah, make you good don't. music. It's like it falls on completely deaf ears. No, I know. It's it, people prescribe it to this formula. Formula, yeah. This uh like uh have you seen the OA? Yeah. So like you, you can do these little five dance moves <laughs> yeah, and suddenly yeah. you're in another dimension and everyone's rich and successful yeah, and they're yeah, happy yeah. and famous and stuff. So like, if only, you yeah, know, exactly. if, if only, only, if only we could really get a grasp on it that, yeah. that well, it might make a uh, process a little less scary and might make people want to do it more. Yeah. And more sure yeah, about true. their lives. How do you feel like pregnancy has assisted you in this process of writing the feature? I think, again, as like it goes back to what I was saying at the beginning about just taking time. And I think it's just let me understand, the yeah, appreciate the process more. Well, you're writing about a parent. Yeah. While becoming a parent. Yeah. So your perspective is, is changing. So more less esoteric and more really about the work itself yeah 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 how does that shift in perspective of becoming what you're writing about Mm -hmm. helped you it's difficult because um it's like 
this whole process and the whole development and meetings I've had with script editors and the, all the execs that are involved, it's like you have to, they've been telling me to free myself from the truth of the story in order to create a better film, basically. Because sometimes, believe it or not, in film, the truth isn't more interesting than I don't know this whole Fred's no, making us smash the studio. Yeah, up. isn't isn't <laughs> isn't more interesting than what you could create, mm. which is something that I've never believed in. But I'm coming to understand. I wouldn't say realize. I know it to be true. But during this process, yeah, I'm coming to understand why they say that. Or they think that. As, um, I, as I slowly calm myself down from that, <laughs> I do understand yeah. when I think about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. So have you seen it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that ends however it ends. Won't spoil it for anybody who hasn't no. seen it. But I do get it in that sense. You yeah. can offer a reconciliation uh, or a resolution that wasn't afforded in real life. And yeah. that can change the way people... process mm -hmm. and experience mm -hmm. yeah but which it is... i do find poetic and responsible and really mature actually mm -hmm. that's how i felt watching Once yeah i really the ending was my favorite bit about it mm. um about the film but then that gets tricky because you're writing a film about your life essentially yeah it's obviously your dad's life but it's your life as well so yeah it's... yeah it is when... it is really difficult once you start altering history mm -hmm. you're kind of giving yourself the life that maybe you this is me projecting i guess that you wish you had mm -hmm. or that you could have had and or, then i don't know where does that take it's you not, as an it's art? not so much that to that extent so like okay. i'm not changing i'm not doing like a tarantino and changing the ending of anything sorry if that spoiled it um <laughs> sorry <laughs> i mean anyway yeah. um like uh, my dad still dies in the film mm. as he did in real life. He's still... All the, like, main things okay. are the same. But the things that are changing, which is actually more difficult, is because I'm writing everything from his perspective. I'm changing how I found out about information in real life in order to make it a better experience for an audience. Okay. Um in order to, I'm changing like, for example, he sold, he played the harmonica in his band. And um, I think, yeah, he wrote lyrics sometimes, but his bandmate wrote loads of the lyrics and he translated them into Serbian and they used to sing them in Serbian. And loads of the lyrics sometimes were just, <laughs> just trying shit. Mm. Like they were just saying whatever they wanted to say. It didn't matter because in Serbian, it sounded <laughs> however it sounded. But one of the notes from the script editor, which I thought was really good, was to have Vlad's character as the lyricist in order to, I guess, see things more clearly through his eyes and use the music as more of a punctuation of his feelings, I guess, and like a diary. And so we can use that to understand him more. So it's things like that. Okay. Um which I agree make it more interesting than him just playing the harmonica and not being a lyricist mm. um, for an audience. 
So yeah, it's loads of things like that. So I'm going back to your original question. <laughs> it's hard for me to think about me as a parent and then writing this about a parent, I guess, because I'm having to think about a time where I wasn't pregnant or it's got nothing to do with me being pregnant and I'm very much focusing on how to tell that period of time in the best way so I'm not really thinking about myself now I guess um because there's already so much to try and figure out mm. um about what I'm writing about I guess so in the just to challenge your last point a little yeah. bit about uh editing the truth or editing reality mm -hmm. what if uh your dad not being the lyricist and not being or just not putting his perspective or, or expressing it mm -hmm. what if that was part of his situation yeah. that led to his troubles mm -hmm. then don't you almost edit that out you yeah it's, you, you, it's this is what this is this is why i'm making a film is so hard yeah. because it's like i'm also going through the thing where I know when I don't agree with a note. Mm. So when someone gives me a note and I don't want to do it, I'm like, nah, this isn't what I want. But when someone gives me a note that makes sense, it doesn't mean that I want to do it, but it's a good idea, like the one the script editor offered. Yeah. It's hard to know, like, not about whose idea is better, but it's hard to know, like, was my initial instinct just as good as that note? Like, how do you... How do you know which one, which direction to go for? Well, how do you? How do you make the choice? I don't. I don't know. I've been trying to. I'm on. I'm in that process now because mm. this is the first time. Because it's a feature film as well. I've only had development on one of my short films. All the others I just done myself. I didn't have. I sent them to some friends. Which short film was that? That had development. Eli, because it was with Film London. Do you feel like <clears> that <throat> work had something that the previous work didn't? Like, did you think that was a step up? Um, I think technically, visually, because we had a budget, um, but it changed through that development. It was not the film that I sub that I submitted. It was completely different mm. because of the development. Um, is that a positive or a negative? I don't know. I don't know. It hasn't like hasn't done near as well as my other stuff. So. Which I don't know. When you say hasn't done that, as well, what in terms do you of mean like here? resonance or views, like yeah, like resonance, all of it. I think okay, um, people just didn't seem to respond to it as well as my other stuff. Um, Does I, that make it harder for you now to then be like, ah, oh, <laughs> I trusted them once before and I I followed the notes and I mean this this process. The people um, are very different. I feel like I have a lot more creative control than I did with Eli. Um, so I don't feel negative about it in that way. I feel more like I'm willing to take help and ideas, but now it's just about like, <laughs> yeah, deciding. But now because I have that freedom to hear other people's ideas and still decide if I should do it or not, mm. it just makes it like, oh, how do I? Well, I guess this is the, f this is you finding your voice as yeah. a filmmaker, right? Being yeah. able to listen to an idea and shoot it down and be like, no, I know what is best. Yeah. And there has been like some offers that I've shot down and I've been like, no, it's it's easy, like I said, to know which ones you don't want to do. 
It's easy to tell the difference between a good and a bad one. Yeah. But then there's this next thing, which is like yeah. a good. Is it what is it? A good and a right one? Yeah. Because it's good for entertainment,、mm-hmm. but is it right yeah, and true yeah. to the story? Exactly. So that's quite an interesting、uh, sacrifice to talk about for an artist. Yeah. You know, truth and entertainment. Yeah, it's difficult, and also it's like. Then you just get. I've never. I've read like a chapter of a writing book, like a script writing book, or a couple of chapters. And I liked the book. It was a good book, but I didn't finish it because I just feel like again, it's not a formula. It shouldn't be prescribed. And, and all of this stuff. And you've got a script to write. And all of this stuff. Um. So then, but then at the same time, you still get caught up with like. So like you go down this. I feel like I always go down this road of like fuck the system, man. I'm just gonna do what I want. I'm just gonna write how I want to write.、Mm-hmm. I've never been to film school. I've never been taught all of this. I'm all self-taught. Blah blah blah. And then sometimes someone gives you a note. Someone suggests something, and you're like, oh yeah, this makes sense as well. Like maybe I should <laughs> follow this structure to a certain extent. And yeah, it's just hard to. Like for example, at the beginning, at the moment in this draft that I have, my dad or Vlad's character separate myself. <laughs> Vlad's character, like from the jump, you can see that he's like, he leaves the house with a packet of tobacco, right? Then blah blah blah, he goes to the bar after his band has performed, and he tells he gets offered a drink, and he tells the barman. No, I've stopped drinking. I've stopped smoking. But we always obviously know he's lying because we've already seen him with the tobacco, for example. Which I, my instinct is like, yeah, I like this because it's a good character trait and da da da. But then I don't know. I got the other day is like, oh, maybe you should hold that back to for later on in the film. So maybe at the beginning he is actually trying harder to be, to not smoke and not drink and all of those things. So you see what I mean? Yeah. So it's like. <laughs> But but which I don't know. We take away, but then like, we're taking away the nuance from the character. I know, but then it's like I understand in terms of then building, I guess, a stronger structure or narrative. I understand why that makes sense. You almost went viral. I caught viral. it. I caught it. <laughs> I told you that、I、was treacherous. <laughs> so it's just hard. It's just things like that, like that example. No, I believe it. It's like I'm trying to get a grasp of it now and be like, what would I do in that situation? Is it is a fine line. It's a conversation. I was I went out for dinner with my girlfriend Helena、mm-hmm. and my mentor Phil the other day, and I spoke about I spoke about the mark of like a great artist for me. This is musically, but I'm starting to notice it more in films. I find it harder to、um, grasp in fine art and.、Mm-hmm. Literature, yeah, but with the more visceral art forms, it's easier to pick out when an artist is aware of the, aware of its audience. Like it's he's it it he 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 or she they are creating, but are taking a little glimpse over their shoulder every now and yeah, then, and being yeah, like, yeah. I know you're there, and I know you're along for the ride, and I'm gonna I'm gonna play to that. Um, and both Helena and Phil were like, No, never think about the audience because、mm-hmm. that just tarnishes it. I'm like, No, they're. You are the audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so, you, it has to be like a trip. It has to be a journey. It has to be、um, manipulative.、Mm-hmm. It has to lull you into places and then take turns. Like it can't just be formless and like yeah, splat. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, yeah, it yeah. Has, there has to be some 
sculpting mm. of it. And there has to be some consideration for the audience. And it was like this big fight. And I, a really big fight, actually, over dinner for about 45 minutes. And I was like, look, at the end of the day, if if the if you didn't have the audience in mind, you wouldn't release anything, mm-hmm. right? We have an impulse to share these stories mm. and to gift them to people for a reason, mm. to give them some kind of experience and a hope that maybe we can transform some kind of perspective, you know? Mm-hmm. At least that's what I think. And it's such a fine line, like you're experiencing no, is, now, yeah. of how much of a how much do I consider you? How much do I let you know I'm considering you and doing what I want to do anyway? Yeah. The giving and the taking away is like that. It's a it's great for you because when you're in that place, you know you're in the territory of the greats mm-hmm. because you're not so single track minded of just like I need to just get this done. Yeah, yeah. You people are pushing you into places of where you have to consider. Yeah. The ride you have to consider the trip. Yeah, because all the people that are giving you notes are the audience as mm. much as their execs or they're paying for it they are an audience. The reason they have these opinions is because they're, in their head, they're thinking, oh, if I was watching this movie, would I want to see this? Would I want to see that? Da, da, da. But they do want to root for a hero in the sense of like, oh, yeah. he's really trying to yeah, give yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But at the same time, it's like you as a filmmaker and just as a human being know that human beings aren't so uh, compartmentalized. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, constantly in flux yeah i am trying but i can't quite kick the habit yeah, yeah but yeah. i do have the best intentions yeah. but i also am vulnerable yeah, it's yeah. like that it's just a, a broader spectrum i guess yeah but what you know where do you draw the line it's it's really difficult it's just i think you just have to i don't know just go with instinct I don't know. Or try something out, do you know what I mean, in one draft. Just because I write something out of a draft or write something in doesn't mean it has to stay that way. Mm. I can always bring things back. Yeah, yeah, but drafts are so much different to the real thing, you know, when you're I sat know, in course. front of the yeah, screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's what I mean. I think, I guess it's just trying something out in terms of in the writing process and then being sure by the time you get to the shoot. Mm. Where The other thing that's hard about development is like so much... Um, effort is put into the script and all your notes and blah, blah, blah. which is frustrating because the end product isn't a script it's like the end product is a film mm. that people are going to watch nobody's going to read the script so it's hard because all the nuances that maybe someone feels are missing you know you'll be able to create when you're shooting and it's hard to write all of those things in because a lot of the times they're they're reading so many scripts a day or a week and it's like loads of people just skim through the stage directions and the actions in the script which is where loads of the details are mm, that's where the nuance is yeah that's where the unspeakable truth exactly are. exactly and if you just scan through it and it, you always get notes like oh cut down your actions like only write three lines or whatever and it's like but then you're going to tell me something's missing <laughs> and if i write a paragraph of action which is like all the nuances that I will be showing on camera, you won't read it because you're just like, oh, this is too long. And you'll just jump straight to the dialogue and then you'll miss something. Spectrum is like someone like a Chris Nolan mm-hmm. who 
you could push your film in that direction, mm. like if you're talented, because he's undeniably great, mm-hmm. but also lacks maybe a bit of understanding of humanity. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then you could push all the way to the other side of like a. Well, actually, no, I give a better. I was going to say Lim Ramsey and Chris Nolan, but they're not really that comparable. But like a Stanley Kubrick and a Andrei Tarkovsky. Mm-hmm. It's like one is really entertaining, but also is missing that spirit a mm. little bit. And then the other one is like so stretched out, mm. but so so soulful. Mm. But in modern terms, it is more of like a Chris Nolan, and I don't know who the other end of the spectrum it's like a, is. I always use Barry Jenkins as an example, who did Moonlight. Moonlight, yeah. And, yeah, of course. Because, because Moonlight, because of I think Moonlight is such a good example of exactly what we're talking about. Because me and like other filmmaker friends were like, if Moonlight was in the same position we are in, it would have never got through. Yeah. <laughs> to the end process, like it would have never got through the same development that we're going through now just it just wouldn't have and yet it won an oscar and yet it had these distributors and all of this stuff and it's a beautiful poetic film and i've read the script and the script is really poetic like in its actions and stage directions it's beautiful um and then so i always think of that as a reference to myself to like just remember to you know make what you want to make um because it's throughout history with all across all genres of art and all types of art. It's always the people that have broken the rules that everyone knows and that everyone cares about and who have changed some aspect of something. So do you feel like the rising uh, capitalization on film as a medium mm. has taken the nuance out of stories and out of characters to the point where we find ourselves now like afraid of our own nuances and afraid mm. of our own duality and afraid of our own uh, whirlwind of experience. We kind of expect this um, compartmentalized, very structured experience in our lives and get overwhelmed when yeah. we realize actually we're spinning like five or six different <laughs> yeah, plates yeah, at the yeah. same time. Yeah. And then we get like, everyone has anxiety or everyone has depression because in the stories that we tell now, we don't have that um, spectrum of experience. We don't have the six storylines going on at the same mm-hmm, time. Mm-hmm. We just have that three-act structure, beginning, middle and yeah, end, yeah. Um, conflict and resolution. Yeah, which is what I've never been interested in. And and I think maybe because I've never done any script writing classes and or gone to any of these places, Maybe I'm telling, maybe I don't connect with that because I'm just telling story through how, yeah, through how I understand it, which isn't a free act structure. No. And so, like, someone, a director read my treatment of Surviving Earth and he was like, oh, like, it's kind of like soap opera, how can all these things happen to one person? And I was just like, well, that's, <laughs> that's what happens to people in real life. Like, they they're experiencing all of these things at once or in a short period of time. And that's where the best stories are is when people get inundated with problems and get so weighed down yeah. by it that, that it takes a heroic effort to rise up out of it Yeah. or sometimes don't, you know? Mm. It's like, but the, that's where 
the story and the truth is because that's where we will all find ourselves at some point. Yeah, we will all be spinning too many plates. (laughs) We will all be just overwhelmed. That's Mm. like a a fact. And if we start taking that out of our art, we're we're not equipping people Mm -hmm. properly to Mm -hmm. deal with life. But do you feel that responsibility with this story in particular? I've always like I've always um, kind of stuck to what happened like the truth of the matter Mm. was that yeah this is a person that's first of all dealing with his historic context which we don't see on a day-to-day basis but that is like a massive part of what's affecting him now even if it's 20 years later and then on top of that he's dealing with bills and this and this and this and this and this this. it's not just one thing like we'd all be dead if it was only one thing (laughs) that affected us if we were all only dealing with late bills and debt we'd all be dead do you know what i mean well, it's what do you not mean? like it's not just the one thing that kills you yeah it's like everything it's not just debt it's also oh this and this oh my relationship with my daughter's breaking down oh and i also have to think about what happened to me 20 years ago but then in film or with notes it's like yeah like you said people always want to simplify it for an audience so they can understand, oh, this led him here, this is why it happened. When it's like, no, it's all of these things. It's, it's really interesting f- to pick this apart because I feel when I try to p- apply this to like the layman or just the everyday person on, mm. on or the audience, basically, when people are going through something in their life and they're looking for that one thing, because mm. I know I've been in that position, like, what's wrong? What, you know? Yeah. It's not just one thing. No. It's having more problems than you have hands to carry them. Yeah. That feels like a valuable lesson. You know? They they like to spoon feed audiences, do you know what I mean? To make sure everyone understands why this happened. And yeah, I don't always think that's helpful. No. And that's it's like one of my favourite bits and heartbreaking bits in Moonlight is when Juan doesn't come back in like the second in the middle part of the film and it's like where's he gone no one no one no one mentioned it well it gets mentioned once like that he's dead Mm. but you don't see it happening you don't know it's gonna happen there's no inkling of of that he's in a dangerous situation in his life and he plays such a pivotal part at the beginning of the film as a character and then he's just gone and it upset me when I was watching it because I was like, no, where where has he gone? By the same time, it's so beautiful because he didn't, that wasn't explained and that's fine. Like, we're not stupid. We can draw the dots when we're watching and digesting art. We don't have to have all the answers, which I strongly believe and which I enjoy most about yeah, digest an art because it's your own interpretation of things. Well, trust is uh, such a big part of it. Yeah. It's not really something that's spoke about either. It's not... I never. I rarely hear trust your audience mm. and also trust your own ability to tell the story in a way where it won't be misunderstood. Mm. That gets you way more uh, bang <laughs> for your buck in the cinema, you know, when you're given some responsibility as well as some uh, escape. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of like, no, I, I believe that you're 
put together well enough or you've experienced enough to be able to interpret this in a, a positive way. Although I did like, I was tweeting about a film once because it didn't answer some questions that I, I was saying like films don't have to answer questions. I was kind of supporting the film. Mm. And some guy replied to me and was like, I'm already paying for a cinema ticket. I shouldn't also have to pay to use my imagination. <laughs> I mean, that's fair enough. And I was like, wow, wow. Maybe this is the average person. Like maybe this is like the, yeah, the average cinema goer's view. It's the other way around. Like, I feel like <laughs> the, it's Hollywood's fault. Yeah. They create the... Yeah, no, that's true. They, they create the problem. If somehow the filmmaker can figure out a way to spoon feed the audience a little bit of themselves, mm. then I think that's a winning formula. Mm -hmm. But I don't. Also, I think a lot of audience members who just want to be spoon-fed won't be watching my films anyway. That's true. I worked on a film recently about Grand Theft Auto. Mm -hmm. The head of Rockstar, the guy who took over, he basically says, and this is what made Grand Theft Auto like boom into the biggest game, biggest media thing that's ever existed, yeah. made, made over a billion dollars. He said, like, what good is your product if people don't get it if people mm -hmm. aren't accessible mm -hmm. um if people don't find it accessible and that's like true to a certain extent mcdonald's isn't the best restaurant in the world just because it's eaten by billions of people mm -hmm. but there is a point of where if people don't experience it mm. what good is it mm. Do, is that something that you also wrestle with the aim is that yeah you want to reach as many people as possible but i'm also not like i just i'm not really hung up on if you're not interested, you're not interested. I'm not, I can't make something like it isn't McDonald's. Do you know what I mean? Like I can't make a piece of work that for everyone. So I think if you have your own, you just have your own goals or like where you like, oh, I don't know, a BAFTA nomination or get into Sundance or Cannes or whatever. It's like if you have those goals and you're like, yeah, I want to get it here. Um, and then whoever, the people that see it as a result of that is a good thing. But then, I don't know, you kind of have, ex like I don't expect it to to be um, like the first film that pops up on your Netflix, you know what I mean? And that's fine, I'm fine with that. Mm -hmm. For this particular film, I think it changes depending on what you're making as well. Like some things you you'd hope maybe to be more commercial. But for this particular film, I'm not that bothered and I don't care if the average person doesn't go and see it. The only way to kind of do that and remain integral mm. is to make a kid's film. <laughs> yeah. It's to make like a Pixar movie. Yeah, it's right? true. If you want to make true. something that's universal, aim it at children. Yeah. Which is like, I think that's a very honourable way to do it, to make something. Or like that Studio Ghibli. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was watching some I was watching one of Hayao Miyazaki's interviews and he was saying like um maybe it's not so much in his country. But he was like he makes they're for kids like mm. and he well they're for everyone, but they're also kids movies cuz there's there's always children in them and yeah, it's like it's the lead is always children and it's always and he was just saying I think he quoted someone else but he was like oh you have to show children something inconceivable and they'll understand it later just cuz they're just cuz they're not going to understand it now yeah 
um, doesn't mean you shouldn't tell them it or show them it, um, which I think is great, which I always think about when I think of parenting. Well, I kind of sometimes feel like that when I make music. I'm a, I feel like, and I haven't succeeded in this yet, maybe one song actually. Um, if it, I want it to sound like a lullaby. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's the best type of music but then I don't even really believe that mm. now because you know I want to be a bit rock and roll I want to be a bit edgy but I know as time goes on I'll slowly and slowly creep closer towards every song putting you to sleep <laughs> yeah. or, or something that you play in the background while your kid like is in the cot yeah, face yeah, down yeah. With his, his butt in the air like yeah. that I think is the long term goal because it's what stands the test of time like a nursery rhyme mm-hmm. like Row, row, row your boat mm-hmm. gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 life is but a dream. Yeah. You don't get, you get to like 24 or whatever and you're like, that is a, that is a trip. That nursery yeah. rhyme is mental. Yeah, exactly. You're like, what? Yeah. And that's the best way, like a fairy tale, a nursery rhyme, a lullaby, a kid's book or, mm. or, or a kid's film. That's how things get immortalized because they're so simple Mm -hmm. and but so profound that they just stick yeah and it would and so nuanced as well actually when you think about a studio ghibli film even pixar films Mm -hmm. are incredibly nuanced Mm -hmm. but no one really they don't get the same scrutiny that a drama might get yeah which is interesting yeah that's true on my way here i was listening to james blake um and the rosalia song yeah Barefoot in the park. Yeah, and I've always like loved the song, but then today for some reason, I really you know sometimes you listen to a song so many times, but then you suddenly hear a lyric, mm. and you're like, wait, what? What lyric was it? He said in the first verse, he's he's like, uh, who needs to hallucinate? Who needs to pray? Who needs balance? I see you every day, and I've always like I think because the last line is that just before the chorus. So I always hear who needs balance, I see you every day a lot. And I always thought that was a great line anyway. But for some reason today, I heard him say, who needs to hallucinate? Mm. And then I had to put him up. I was like, wait, this is too good. (laughs) This is too good. I realised I hadn't listened to that album as much as I thought I would since like the first month that it came out. Oh, yeah. I've struggled to listen to James Blake albums in full anyway. No, I do. I do as well. I had the worst acid trip slash best acid trip in my life <laughs> listen to a James Blake album but I can't remember what, it might have been Digital Lion mm-hmm. the song which is just like pure synths and like sounds of lorries <coughs> and stuff excuse me and when you're like when you're in a dark place that is not the best thing yeah. to listen to I was like crawling across the floor trying to get to the stop button yeah, yeah, and yeah. I had Alejandro Jodorowsky um, Dance of Reality playing in the background mm. there's a scene where him as a little boy is a biopic him as a little boy is afraid of the dark. Mm-hmm. He sees death for the first time. He sees a dead body and then it's like, it's coming. Darkness is coming. So his mum gets boot polish out and ter- and puts it all over his skin. So he's like jet black like the dark. Yeah. And she's like, you are part of the darkness. It's part of you. And then she's like, chase me around the house. So he's got this like little kid, <laughs> completely matte black, really shiny, like creeping through the house. This mental song playing. And I'm like crawling trying to get to the stop button i get like halfway and i've just got no (laughs) fight in me left i just let go and i had like visions like i was me but then i fell through the floor Mm -hmm. and and i was falling and falling and falling where were you actually 
I was in a shed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was in a shed. Um, that's I, I modelled this place on the shed. The shed was a really nice shed, um, but it like had this kind of vibe, really, mm. really nice and rustic. Uh, and and I I fell through the floor and then I was falling and I was like, oh, this is it. I I'm gonna lose my mind. I'm gonna never come out of this place and then slowly and slowly i hit the floor mm -hmm. and then as i hit the floor i like shattered into glass this is and in in this glass i saw like every memory that i wow ever had yeah and i was just like floating through the chaos and i was like oh wow that happened to me once oh that happened to me oh maybe that's the reason why i'm a little bit fucked up <laughs> yeah. oh okay cool and then i managed to like come back and be like oh okay so i've got some stuff that i need to figure out now um so it was great it was good good and, result yeah thank you james blake and i remember i walked past <laughs> him once outside pizza pilgrims in soho yeah. and i thought is this too weird of a story to go up to him and tell probably i'll curb it one day i might get him on the podcast and then we can have the conversation he'd but probably think, enjoy that story i think he would i feel like any if you told that to any artist they'd be like really yeah i went to his concert in london this year mm. How was it? It was good. I was just, it was the beginning of my pregnancy. And, um, well, I was, no, I was about four months, yeah. And he had, like, this whole 20-minute, maybe, techno section. Yeah. And I was just like... <laughs> it's too much. I was like, I can't. I actually can't. Mm -hmm. I couldn't do it. It was too much. I bet it's With a crazy the light, light show yeah. as well. Proper, I, had to, like, I had to actually like look down for some of it. I had to look down because it was just I don't know if it's because I was pregnant that I made it worse. Were you were three months pregnant. Yeah, four maybe four. When you found out, what was the first thing that ran through your mind? Uh, I don't know. I think I just we just smiled. I don't know what the first thing was. I mean, that's a good enough response. We were just like. Was it like this? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just like uh, yeah, basically. It's because I'd taken a few tests before the positive one, and they were all negative, so I wasn't expecting it. Oh wow! To be positive, you just thought I'll do one more. Yeah, for, I was just like, for... oh, whatever. So you could have done one, and then two months down the line, been like, <laughs> hold on. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So I was like, oh, this is. I was really honestly expecting it to be negative. Yeah. So then when it wasn't. And as you slowly lead up to due date, yeah, do you have like not expectations, anticipations? Just like, are you nervous? I guess. No, I'm excited. I'm really excited to be to go into labour. What's the excitement? I don't know. I feel like it's like I'm really anticipating it. Like you know, when you're you know, you're waiting for the day that you go on holiday. But you're waiting for the the pain. <laughs> yeah, the most probably the most painful experience. Yeah, but of that's your life. why I think it's even more. I'm gonna I'm gonna just find myself hilarious because I'm so excited and then I'm just gonna be in the worst pain and I'm just gonna be laughing at myself like, ha! Look at you now. Are you one of those people though that's like, if you're afraid of something, you're like, I just want to do it right now. I just want to yeah. do it. No, yeah. Mm, I don't know sometimes, but I'm not afraid. I don't feel afraid at all. Mm. It's more just like I want to do it. Like I actually want to feel. I want to experience it. And how about the other half? Is he like, I'm, I would be shitting myself. No, he's, um, he's like, now he's got around to the idea of cutting the cord. At first he was like, 
no, I'm scared. <laughs> All of this. But now he's like, okay with it. We had an antenatal class the other day. So that's like, so you want to reassure her, validate her. Yeah, it was like sh- a five and a half hour class. All of the it different ways long. to tell you, you're doing good, keep going, keep breathing, keep yeah, pushing. Yeah, loads of stuff. Oh man, it was I wouldn't. Fun. There's a big conversation that happens at the moment mm. about, it's not about equality essentially, but it's about there being no difference between men and women. Yeah. And that we're the same. But I feel like that experience alone, you being in it and the man just observing mm-hmm. and supporting, mm. you going into that place alone, pulling pulling life out yeah. by yourself and him not being able to experience or ever, yeah. ever understand it, mm. that creates such a difference yeah yeah in perspective i know in me and myself like when i think about it and and similarly you'll never be able to experience his side of not knowing what that feels no, like exactly yeah it rubbishes the idea of of similarity mm-hmm. you know is that conversation that, that you've had with each other about what like the physical or not being able to understand exactly yeah, I don't. I don't really know what I'm asking because this is the first time I've ever really been able to have this conversation with somebody. Mm-hmm. A big part of my perspective, and I guess masculinity mm. and just being a man, mm. the foundation of that is never knowing that experience. Mm-hmm. I'll never know the pool of life that you're about to dip into and mm-hmm. bring something back out of. Mm. And similarly, you'll never know what it's like to not know that place. Yeah. So after this experience, you'll have some kind of certainty, you know, like you'll be, this is me completely projecting as a man who has no <laughs> understanding of what's yeah. actually about to happen. Yeah. But you're about to go to that place or where we all came from mm. and come back and tell the story. Mm-hmm. And the only way I get to experience that is in in death. Mm-hmm. That's not a conversation that we have. No. That's not a conversation. When mm. we talk about masculinity, femininity, equality and all of that stuff, we don't have that conversation mm-hmm. and it like it feels even weird talking about it because I'm I I might I would be considered like crazy or something not that I care about that. But it's it's such a separation. We haven't had that specific conversation. We all we're always talking about differences in yeah, masculinity, femininity, um, what toxic masculinity is or what toxic mm. femininity is and all of those things. But we haven't actually spoken about what you're trying to describe. Trying? Am I not doing it very well? <laughs> no, you are doing it well, but I think it's no one can actually yeah. describe it. Um, but someone said something interesting on set for Enterprise. One of the makeup artists was like, oh, it must be weird because... It's like, as a pregnant woman, you you have some expectations from your partner. And to be honest, or I don't know about other people, but for me, I don't have like a lot because of all the differences you just described. I don't expect you to understand how I feel because you can't and all of these things. And she was just saying it must be weird because it's essentially like, because women are going through it every day and like you're able to bond in a different way that your partner's bonding with the unborn child. But then it's like, 
men just get given this baby and it's like this is yours now whereas women we've been feeling it yeah every day for however many months even before you could start feeling it moving you like you know everything's happening you feel sick or you feel tired or you have all of these results of pregnancy but men don't have that they can feel it through your skin when it starts to kick and stuff but that's about it mm. in terms of actually physically being able to feel something and so she was like it must be weird <laughs> someone just handing you a baby and being like <laughs> yeah oh, this is yours now like now you're a dad um whereas women have had that preparation for nine months and even i guess the anticipation of it happening in the future yeah. means that the connection's there the whole time yeah, yeah 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 exactly and it speaks to the i guess what people would label as a crisis of masculinity at the moment mm. but i don't feel like we accept the separateness mm. of masculinity mm. the isolation of masculinity mm -hmm. like you said you're essentially giving a piece of yourself to your partner mm. but your partner's in this bubble and, and I, i'm sure i'll be in the position as well in this bubble of like ah, oh, what yeah i'm yeah, yeah. so cut off from this experience yeah how i can only uh do an impression you know yeah, i can yeah, only exactly. i can only perform in abstracts mm -hmm. whereas the the feminine experience is like so live and direct and yeah, yeah, so yeah. unspeakable it's yes yeah, just a hard position to be in and he is very very supportive and very tender and very understanding as much as he can be like when my back hurts or when i'm like yeah, yeah. like last night this baby was doing <laughs> the most like he was like stop doing it stop moving because he was just moving in all directions his foot like gets stuck in my rib oh. and then it's just a lot of stuff so it's like you can see it when it gets to this stage at least the other anyone else not even your partner but anyone else can like see what you're going through and they can sympathize with you in that way when you have a uh, keeping the, the this conversation in mind when you find out you're gonna have a boy mm -hmm. Do you feel like, oh, uh, he's going to have a very different experience to me mm. because he's a man? Mm -hmm. Does it make you feel like you have to prepare, figure out a way to prepare him for that? Or do your best to create the conditions, like the safest conditions for him to explore that for himself? Obviously, this is a long way in the future and you're just focused on getting him out. It's weird because before you know the gender you're kind of like you think about both sides and then as soon as i knew it was a boy i was like i didn't even think about girls at all and that was kind of like all your it's hard to know like what exactly you plan for because it all comes so naturally to you and you're just kind of figuring out like at the moment i probably thought about the first maybe three years like toddler stage yeah, and we're is, always like oh how yeah it's all very want him pragmatic. to be yeah want, but also like just communicating with children boy or girl and then there's like the other stage of because all these communicative um lessons are taught from yeah from birth and so especially with a boy it's like how to not 
plant the seeds for a child or a man who's going to be blocked in some way in the future in the communicative sense, do you know mm. what I mean? Or motion sense or like whatever, because you see some parents, do you know what I mean? It's simple as, oh, stop crying, stop being a girl. Things that comments like that, for example, that people say and don't think about. Um, so all of that stuff, mm. me and my partner have both been very like, yeah, had conversations about how to avoid that and how to raise a son in a more free, <laughs> free way, fluid way. Um, yeah, rather than imposing certain societal things on him. Mm. But in terms of like beyond that, I haven't thought. I, I mean, I've imagined, we've imagined him as like a teenager and whatever. But then it's like, I guess it's just whatever they bring you, do you know what I mean? Then you deal with at the time. Yeah. But the societal um, norm, I guess, is to not speak about the differences between men and women. And mm -hmm. For me, it's always been like how I'm terrified of having kids because I don't know if I had a boy how to tell him like, yeah, you're 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 separate. You're isolated. You're in this mm -hmm. almost impenetrable bubble. To no one's really gonna get it. But then mm -hmm. also, if I had a girl, it's like, oh well, I guess I just watch then and make sure everything is safe and because I can't really tell her anything because yeah. she knows it all and mm. she'll discover it on her own. Because I read a uh, in a book once like men have to go out and learn mm -hmm. things. Women just have to discover them in themselves, mm -hmm. which I do believe to be true. I do mm -hmm. believe like that, that um, I do. I believe that also whatever we need is inside both of us, but men need that external stimulation and experience where I feel like a woman can sit back into herself and uncover those no, truths. No, yeah, I agree. I think I've, yeah, I've, I've experienced that with friends, with, whoever mm. yeah just as you grow and live um unlike when you're younger you're always like why do men have to wait to get to this point to this extreme measure before they realize oh shit i fucked up do you know what i mean like why do you have to get all the way to the edge of the cliff before you realize mm. something but it's just exactly that quote that you just described is true yeah parenting it's just your guide you know they're just a guide. Mm -hmm. You're not here to tell them who they can be, who they can't be, what they should be. They're just, they're just another person. They're not yours. They don't belong to you. You know what I mean? It's like just a guide on their journey and you just equip them with the tools that they need mm. and the experiences that you've had. And I think you'll do a fantastic job. I think Thank you're already you. doing a fantastic job just even starting from that place there. Mm -hmm. I think that's like only good things can come from that. Mm -hmm. But it's also liberating in my own experience to know that even if you fuck it up completely, not you, even if I <laughs> fuck it up completely, at least I've served an ex as an example of what not to do. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> so as long as you can raise your kid to be like learn from other people's mistakes, yeah. you set yourself up for success. Yeah. It's like, well, you know, you can't resent me that much because I showed you how not to play <laughs> how the not game. To be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I gave you a perfect map, whether you knew it or not. I'm also excited about like how much I'll learn, do you know what I mean, from them.
or relearn or unlearn. Yeah, that's all of the... those things. Like I read um, this book, the book you wish your parents had read, and like, the main takeaway that I had from it was just putting yourself in a child's shoes, which none of us remember to do because we're older than them and we're sure that we know better and well I know what you're going through it's not that bad you only fell over or whatever instead of actually being like oh how would that feel to have like for example you feel like you're in the best place on earth you're on this roundabout and then you've fallen off it do you know what I mean it's like in their heads <laughs> it's a lot bigger than we think it is mm. And it's just like remembering to see things from that point of view. And they were also just like saying that play for children is like the equivalent of work for us. So if a child's in the middle of a game and you're like, we need to go now, put your coat on, you're more likely, they're more likely to have a tantrum rather than being like, okay, five minutes, then we're going to go. Because mm. it's like if you was in the middle of something and someone said, <laughs> we're going now, like right now, you'd be annoyed. Have you thought about the workload of being a mum and also a full-time filmmaker? I have no idea what... <laughs> I don't think I have any idea what's in store for me, mm. honestly. I'm just like... I've just heard... I mean, people obviously just tell me. I think it's more with a newborn, like, just the constantness of, of them. Um... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to prepare myself. I mean, I can't. Yeah, of course. I'm just like, I'm just going to, I know I'm just going to bring him everywhere I can. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And not feel a way about it. I guess it's two occupations that require consistent presence. Yeah. And maybe that will complement mm -hmm. each other. You know, it's like the the athlete the other day who got dropped by nike because she had a baby oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then 10 months later came back and smashed the world record yeah it's like maybe that necessity for presence actually benefits every facet of your life mm -hmm. obviously it can be overwhelming but yeah. as we discovered earlier it's like as long as you can not think i have to be present all the time and realize that it's actually all of these little subsections of where you have to be present maybe that's like more beneficial yeah my friend um in LA she's a photographer filmmaker she has a two-year-old but she did a post a while ago and she just felt and it was like she had put a camera in her in the corner of her room and being freelance and doing all these things you work from home a lot so she put a camera in the corner of her room and she just filmed I don't know how long it was it was like a time lapse and like so much of the time and her daughter's in her room with her, like, to her own devices, sometimes wanting her attention, sometimes not. And my friend, the mother, is, like, on her laptop a lot or she's looking at stuff and da, 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 and she did a post caption and she was like, oh, she feels guilty. When she watches stuff like this back... Um, because she's not attending to the child. Yeah, 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 and stuff like that. And then I was talking to my mum about it, who's been in the early years as a teacher for her whole life. So she's always with three-year-olds, four-year-olds. And she was just saying how, like, you being there is present. Physically. Is, yeah, is the presence. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, And it's not like when they're talking to you, do you know what I mean? You're on WhatsApp. You're actually, you're doing something productive. Mm. And I guess it's a good uh, 
energy to be around like yeah your yeah yeah this focus and this productive yeah work and this yeah just she was just my mom was just saying like the presence is what makes a child happiest in her experience nice and that doesn't necessarily mean that you have their attention they have your attention the whole day just means that <laughs> it's also good like to create that aware. boundary as yeah. well i guess of like you're not the most important thing <laughs> in my life even though you are you are i'm not yeah. gonna dedicate all my time to you mm-hmm. i think that is a good because i don't have friends of friends who have kids and you know it's like that that kid is there all day every day mm. and i don't know if that creates a healthy dynamic mm-hmm. i don't try i try not to judge too much but like when the kid has the run of the parents mm. and it's like oh i never find time for me it's like well you have to f- make it you yeah have to do it because you have to show the kid that like it's all about yeah, yeah. And, and because your life you have your life goes on do you know what i mean you don't have like you can't you can't actually balance in terms of, oh, today I'm going to see my kid, tomorrow I'm not. Do you know what I mean? For example, I, with a newborn up to whatever, no. up to a certain age, it's like the balance is doing it all <laughs> at the same time. You can't really separate your time that efficiently because every two hours they need to breastfeed or whatever it is. It's like you can't. Yeah. You just have to do both things. It's also not healthy in terms of like resentment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if you feel like the kid has dominated however many years of your life or how much, if the kid's taken a bunch of me time away, Mm -hmm. it's like that's only going to breed resentment and contempt, you know? Yeah, yeah. You get to a teenager or whatever. It's like, I gave up my life. Yeah, all of that. You're like, what? what? I didn't ask to be here. Like, what? Yeah, it's that's like the worst thing that speaks about in that book as well. And it's just saying that you also have to understand that like newborn to two-year-old three-year-old is just a time that requires more of your time so like you just have to accept that as well and you have to be like when those times where you're feeling irritated like oh i don't want to talk to you i just want to watch netflix i want to talk to whoever it's like you need to understand that it's only three years or two years of the rest of your life Mm. that they're going to need this much time for you from you and every year gets a little less of your time and it's like you've made that decision to have this child and you just have to be prepared to do that it doesn't mean like oh the rest of your life goes out the window but you just have to like it's okay that this person this thing this person needs this from you to survive not just physically but intellectually everything and that's your job I read uh, about the neuroplasticity of a child. Hmm. In the language, like phonetically, this is more physical mm-hmm. than just the actual brain. All of the different ways of speaking language, so like the way that the mouth is shaped in certain different languages, like you know how English people might struggle to roll their R's mm-hmm. if they're speaking Spanish and yeah. oh, if they're French or whatever. <laughs> and that goes all the way across the board. Yeah. All of those uh, postures w- will be formed in a child in the first 18 months. You won't be able to have that foundation in their mind afterwards. It will only ever be like an impression. Mm-hmm. So exposing your kid to just like recordings of loads of different languages yeah. will better enable it in the future to be able to repeat those uh, phonetics, mm-hmm. which is really interesting, I think. But just having like 
a Serbian song in the background <laughs> yeah, playing yeah. while they're growing up, or a Chinese song, or what? Like any song will better help them understand language and symbols and shapes. Yeah. Further along in their life, that's. Yeah, it's amazing. Day. I remember like learning something similar. I did English language at A level, and in the second year, it was about English, in language development and acquisition. And yeah, it was just like all the synapses that sync together in your brain before a certain age are like just the best thing after that. That's why it becomes three times as hard to learn a language or however. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. ours brain just doesn't work as quickly and the connections aren't made. I don't know about you, but I think if I ever have a kid... I'm just going to run so many experiments. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so many experiments. I'm like, right, it's time for Dave's one hour. <laughs> one hour in the uh, reflection chamber. Yeah. Little speaker, little Chinese symphony with a little fucking Russian Dostoevsky reading, just like planting all of these wild seeds yeah, what in happens? the mind. Yeah, right, what happens? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When and, you do that. Because it's always, even when you have interviews with different artists they're always like when i was a kid my mom used to do this my dad used to do this he used to make me watch this or listen to this and at the time you don't care at all yeah. you're like i don't care this isn't interesting to me are you speaking from experience there yeah Did, so is your dad the reason or your mum the reason what you got into filmmaking um would you say that filmmaking is no. your first foray into your artistic expression no acting okay yeah but I always, I don't think that was from, the, I mean, they both love film. Um, and so as I got older, I guess I think it informed my taste in film. But when I was a kid, I was always like creating, I'm the only child. So I was just always left to my own playing devices. So I used to always um, create stories with like little plastic animals and, that's just what I did every day. I would have a new story. I'd have names for all of these toys. So I was always creating stories. Um, but I just mean in the sense of like, my mom always used to take me to art galleries. We're and going you just to wanted Tate. to go to Wacky Warehouse. No, I don't want to go to the Tate. <laughs> so boring. <laughs> for example, and now... you got to pay 18 quid just to get <laughs> in the fucking place. But now you get to a point and you're like, you appreciate mm. the art and... Do you know what I mean? You, and you could have, you can discover that without your parents having taken you there, of course. But it just, I remember when I first went to the Tate and appreciated it, I had like a flashback. Of being in there as a kid. And I was like, oh yeah, I used to hate this. Maybe that's now why I like it. Or you did actually find it interesting, but you would have never admitted it. Stuff like that. Um, and yeah, my dad used to make me watch. My mum was more like responsible, sensible in the, in the sense yeah. of, you can't watch anything over 18. No hell certificate, All you're of that stuff. Whereas old. my dad was like, watch this man, it's great. Like, <laughs> so I'd be watching these things. Irreversible. And you're like, I don't know if I be watching this, I'm 10. <laughs> I'd be watching these things that I didn't understand, going back to that Miyazaki quote. But then, yeah, in the future, you're like, oh yeah, my dad made me watch that and now I understand it and blah, blah, blah. So making your kids sit in a room with whatever clockwork orange style <laughs> eyes open tarkovsky on the big screen clockwork orange would definitely be traumatic no but you know the scene where he's, he's just oh, like yeah, in yeah, front yeah, of the yeah, screen yeah. and you're just like right here you go programming 
<laughs> but I kind of do wish that happened to me a little bit. Mm. I kind of wish that my mum ran experiments on me. Would have been wild. I mean, she did run an experiment, but it's not like that kind of experiment. <laughs> it's just like the keep them alive experiment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I do sometimes, I do think about my own childhood and being like, I do wish there was more of appreciation for the arts. I feel like I was so late getting into it. Mm-hmm. I had like no respect for it. I, I had a really good ear for music, but in terms of like fine art, and I didn't. I read Harry Potter, but other than that, <laughs> I didn't read a book until I was like eighteen, nineteen. Mm-hmm. So I do think, I do think I missed out a little bit. But then also maybe it created this desire in me to be like, I have so much catching up to do. Yeah, discovery. And then just like, and then I make a podcast because I want to just know everything more. You know? <laughs> so maybe everything is how it's supposed to be. Yeah. Is there any, what? what What's keeping you curious at the moment? But I feel like I'm going to ask a question and it's always just going to be like, I'm having a fucking kid. The baby. Like, I don't really think about much else. I don't, you know. And I, be- I know. To be honest. I can imagine, which is why I'm um, kind of struggling to think of... I found... I actually struggled with it. Struggled with what? Just thinking about, like, being so distracted by the baby. Yeah. When I needed to do work and it was just so distracting. Like, all I wanted to do was just watch YouTube videos of... <laughs> baby stuff and like google what i need and i guess the whole nesting instinct kind of kicks in at some point and that's all you want to do mm. and then like baby brain is a real thing where you just get absolved and yeah you or you can't remember you forget things um you just can't concentrate on anything and like i was felt like i was going mad so i looked up and it was like some crazy statistic so many women can't actually concentrate on a task while they're pregnant because as much as your body's changing your brain is also putting in the same amount of effort to grow this person so it's like it's not just that you're distracted in a romantic sense it's like you're actually yeah like a portion your brain of your can't, brain yeah, power is being is being used you're running another <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, somewhere yeah. Else. exactly and then i got through that phase and now i'm okay again but then, then, but now I'm just distracted because it's so soon. Yeah. So it kind of takes up all my free thought. We had a Q&A with international sales agents. Um, and they were talking about art house films and how um, sometimes like with a US or UK filmmaker who's done their debut film, um, and it does well and then they get sucked into like the Netflix world and they were trying to think of people who have successfully come back out of the Netflix world to go do big pictures to go no they get yeah they get sucked into Netflix to do like they get a big budget oh, okay to do a big film when they've just done like their debut arty pardon me type film mm. and they were just trying to say like who has they were trying to think of examples of who have cu- who's come back out of the Netflix world and gone back to doing like good I guess I don't know more artistic more to their taste mm, less compromised yeah work I've I never thought of it as that I always thought of it as oh let me get this Netflix money you know what I mean not I didn't, knowing that it's a black hole yeah no I didn't ever think of it as oh, I'm selling my soul, like, I'm commercialising myself. 
Um, so that was interesting for me to hear. It might not even be a thing of where people want to come out of it. Though. No, yeah, exactly. Like, I, th- I don't even think you realise... Well, I don't know because I'm not in that position, but may- you might not even realise that that's what's happening to you because you're like, yeah, I've got the Netflix stone, man. Like, I've blown. Yeah, right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You don't... And that's what you aim for because, you know, it's a good platform. Like I said before, depending on what it is you're making, Netflix might be exactly the right platform for everyone to see this film or whatever it is. And then you don't even realise, like, oh, how do I go back to making these cousin, cousin type, <laughs> these cousin type films. These scrape together low budget <laughs> sacrifice films where I have to, like, kill myself to get them made. As a director mm-hmm. who's wrote the film mm-hmm. and is also an actress, mm-hmm. how difficult is it for you to be behind the camera and looking through that lens literally but also knowing when someone's giving a good performance like what is your how do you know i think because i've started i started with acting i learned basically all of my other craft skill set through acting um performance is always the most important thing for me in anything i make so that's always my priority um i'm not seasoned or um particularly good at the technical side of filmmaking um which is where i lay all my trust in the dp and collaboration yeah collaboration um and so good story yeah i know a good story and i know a good performance and i don't know how i do i just it's just something that comes naturally to me. But if you were to boil it down to what are you looking for? Mm-hmm. I know it's it's obviously a multitude of things. Mm-hmm. So what things are in that? I think mainly is truth. And if I believe, just if I believe you. It's really hard to pretend to tell the truth, which is what you're doing. You're like, acting is being truthful under imaginary circumstances. And that is difficult to do. Like... And loads of people think it's easy. Like people are like, oh yeah, I'll do that. Let me be in your film. And then you put them in front of the camera. Well, I wouldn't because I wouldn't believe them. But for example, you'd put someone in front of the camera and they say one line and you're like, what? That just has no, it just, it's really hard to explain without seeing. Like, you know, even the average audience member will know if they're watching bad acting. Yeah. And they can't eat, they won't be able to tell you why, but they know uh, this isn't good. And that's because the truth just isn't there and it's hard to like actors have to be very have to like free themselves from their own self-conscious conscience to to be free enough to tell some kind of truth um and pretend act like no one's watching you and all the rest of it when i spoke to will polter yeah about his performances and his we spoke just after The Revenant, which mm-hmm. was like pretty groundbreaking role for him. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He stood by the fact that a perfect performance doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I agree. What makes it so unattainable? When you've got to date seven of filming or even of a show in a th- in the theatre's case, you know your character more than you did on day one, but that stuff's always already out there. It's already on camera. You can't just be like, actually, guys, can we 
I've made a better decision now about that scene. Can we go back and do it? So, and you're constantly learning about this person as you, as you work. Even after the film comes out, you'll watch it and you'll be like, oh no, actually, I think that might have been a better decision um, for that character in that scene. But that's only imperfect because you're judging it. But then the, how else do you judge perfection if, if not through your own lens? Maybe it's non-judgment. Yeah. Maybe if you experience something and you're like, I haven't judged anything for the last yeah, two yeah. hours, that was a perfect performance. Yeah. I mean, I think I've, I've felt, but mainly in classes, not ever on the job, I've felt like a perfect moment maybe not the whole scene but I've definitely felt in like drama class acting class a moment and I've been like that I could not have done that better like I really believed myself and I felt that so that's the obstruction is that yeah. is that you're you're split yeah there's always the character and the performer mm -hmm. so it's bringing the two lines yeah, as, as close, close together yeah. do you feel like anyone has in, in any film you've ever seen or anyone you've ever worked with or even yourself, anyone who's ever brought those lines? Or who do you feel like has brought them as close together as possible? Um, I think, I don't know if it's peop particular people. I just always, I prefer to be like, say, a character in a film, do you know what I mean? Rather than them hitting it, then I want to head every performance. Okay. I think it's more like, for this character, you you really got there like even i watched the joker the other day and i think joaquin is amazing in it did you like it i did like it okay you didn't like it i didn't not like it oh, okay i didn't love it okay joaquin was amazing it's not his yeah, best yeah. performance mm -hmm. but he's still great yeah i felt like the direction was a bit muted mm -hmm. i feel like it would have been impossible to make a bad film with just a camera on Joaquin Phoenix yeah. and the story, because the character's great, the story's great, great Joaquin's yeah. great. Yeah. All of the individual things are great. I don't know, I feel like maybe, I, I still don't know what it is, I haven't reflected on it too much. It mm -hmm. was lacking something for me. Okay. I don't know what it is yet, um, but I saw Ad Astra. I haven't seen that. Now that was a fucking brilliant movie. Really? Yeah. I keep, I keep thinking, I don't know, I've been turned off of it because... I feel like how many <laughs> middle-aged white actors can they get to play, like, the space man? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like everyone's had a go. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. So now, when I saw it, I thought, again! It's not a similar story, though. Okay, cool. It's got one, probably, it's got m my favourite opening shot. Yeah. Of a film ever. Wow. It was so good. I was so blown away by it. Um, and the film's just great. And... It's nuanced, mm -hmm. which I think is important to both of us. Yeah, I, I don't know. I felt Joker just didn't, just didn't do it for me. No. Good film. Yeah, well I liked it. Well worth a watch. Well worth the admission. Yeah, definitely. But I didn't leave it with anything <clears throat> more than I went in with. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that you don't consider the actor when you're considering a performance. No, but in but then okay, for example, like one of my favorite characters is Thomas Shelby in Peaky Blinders. Okay, I haven't seen it. And Thomas Shelby's played by Killian Murphy. Yeah. Sometimes that's enough for me to be like, he's one of my favourite actors. But sometimes it isn't. Sometimes it's like, oh, maybe they need to have, in my eyes, another role, another film where I felt that from them in order for me to say... No, yeah, I get... Your favourite. I get, I get it completely. Yeah. 
I think for me, what I'm going to, what I look for is I'm like, maybe it's not the right way to look at it, but I'm mm. like, wow, that actor, who, whoever it is, they are completely gone into this character. Mm -hmm. And when that, when that, uh, the, the actor themselves are gone, then I'm like, this is as perfect as it can be. Doesn't yeah. matter what actually happens. Doesn't even matter about the aesthetics of the performance, but it's the absence of the performer that yeah. makes me believe in a perfect performance. But then how do you know how absent they are? You don't know because you don't know the performer. That's true. So it's like... But I feel it. Yeah. I think you feel it. I think it is yeah. one of those intuitive things of where you're like, you believe so wholeheartedly in the character. Like Joker, I did... He wasn't, he wasn't all the way gone in that I don't, don't you think? think you see it's really weird to explain but you see little glimpses yeah but then oh. it's it's really hard like from a performer's point of view maybe it's different because you don't act maybe I'm acting like a podcast host <laughs> right now <laughs> I mean in the performative sense I know um because there's some okay like let's say Denzel Washington for example there's he's terrific I'm not just him, but I'm just this example that popped into my popped into my head. There's things that I see him do that I know is Denzel. Yeah. I'm like, oh, he always has that facial expression. Yeah. Which doesn't mean that he's not fully there. It's just like But it does though, because the character wouldn't make that no, facial expression. No, but how what else can you like you all you have, your 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 tools are your body. So you only have so many there's only so many ways your face can move. Do you know what I mean? There's only so much like you every everything you bring to a character is you're still the per otherwise, do you know what I mean? It could be moldable to any person, but it's not you got the role because there's something within you mm. that means that you're best to tell that character and that story. So you have to use the tools you have, which is like, yeah, you can separate yourself to a degree, but you're still using your own experiences and your own understanding of the world and your own like the the energy that lives within your skin to tell this story and to embody this person. So parts of you always linger, which is why some people like Heath Ledger, for example, gets, which why it's difficult to separate yourself because there's something in you that relates so heavily to this person. Mm. Um, Transparency is the best way to, for me to explain once the performer is transparent and, and yeah. it's just a vehicle for the energy of the character to mm -hmm. come through. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why those physical transformations in film are so... Like Joaquin Phoenix, his physicality in the film yeah. is probably the most impressive part yeah. of it. And I think that's... Um, I think that is the... For me anyway, that's the best tool mm. that I have... Like come to understand that's the best tool it's the best segue into another into another character because as soon as you change how you move and how you speak you feel like someone else mm. so the mannerisms and the habits and yeah. the things that aren't consciously happening that i guess people perceive it the other way around sometimes like mm -hmm. it's the speech and all of that the mm -hmm. the words and it's actually the unconscious things that yeah. once they're 
they belong to somebody else, then we're starting to talk about yeah. perfection or at least like transparency. Yeah, and even even like what helps me is like the energy of a character as well. Like if I am quite a slow person, like I take my time, I'm really kind of, I don't rush, but as soon as you think, so say my energy level is a seven, and as soon as you say, yeah, this character's energy level is a 10, then you know, oh, I'm gonna be picking up my cup quicker and doing all this, and yeah. then it makes you feel different. And some people with, some people can do that with all the, with emotion and emotion memory and emotional recall and everything else. But for me, it just helps physically. The physical change is what helps me the most. But you don't believe it's possible for a performer to fully become the character? I don't know. I guess it's a process. I don't know. I don't... I just, I just know from experience that the feeling of perfection is a bit obsolete. Mm. For sure. I don't, I don't really subscribe to the idea of completeness or perfection. Yeah. Part of me does feel like, oh, you know, the performer will always be there. Something will always be there watching the performance mm -hmm. happen. But it's, I guess it's like, can an actor maintain that presence of character throughout mm -hmm. a whole movie, throughout Yeah, a whole you can, shoot? definitely. Then that's perfection. Yeah, but that's, that's what I mean. It's perfection from, like, someone who's... Only, only the person knows what they haven't done. Okay. Is what I mean. Yeah. I don't mean, like, it can't be perceived as perfect but only you know what you could have done more Okay. in that way. And maybe, yeah, maybe sometimes that would be amazing to reach a level where maybe me and Will are too young to have reached th that level where we're like, oh, I've done this enough times that now I know, yeah, that film, I smashed it the whole way through mm. and I, I wouldn't change a thing. Um, but I haven't experienced that yet. Well, you will one day. I'm, one day, one I'm day. Certain. Get have you seen um, scan? Is it, it's not Scanner Darkly. It's Waking Life, mm -mm. Richard Linklater. Mm -mm. So there's a scene in that. It's like a documentary, but not a documentary. Mm -hmm. Some scenes are scripted, but his stuff's like. Have you seen his stuff before? Um, before Sunrise, Boyhood. I've born with Boyhood, yeah. Yeah. Some of it's doc, some of it's not, but it's all animated, like all rotoscoped. Yeah. It's all really trippy. But there's this one scene, I think it's with a script writer, or he might even just be a, some quirky dude, but he <laughs> is speaking to the, the boy mm -hmm. who's awake in a dream, but is like walking around, and he speaks about holy moments. And he's like... He's like, you're not looking for anything that's really sustained or like really long. But it's just about finding a holy moment yeah. and trying to stay in it for as long as possible. Yeah. And I feel like finding the rhythm of a song or emotional center. I heard someone say yesterday about it. But finding that holy moment and then stretching it out for two hours three minutes, whatever your your art form is. It's uh, hard. Yeah. Finding that point of penetration. And sometimes you might even find it through my own experience of like, 
you get to the last verse of a song and then you then you get into it and you're like, oh, I've got to go all the way back now yeah, yeah, yeah. and tie it all into that place. Yeah. But finding that point of entry of sincerity, of a holy moment, like, do you, can you think of a time where you've been in that place where you're like, there it is? Yeah, literally only, like I said before, only in rehearsals or acting class. Mm. Um. How do you grasp onto it and learn from it? You 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 never forget those moments, which is helpful. Um, and when those moments happen, I always like write down how I got there. Like, what did I do? What was done to me that helped me get there? Like in one one of the scenes we were doing in class, um, I was playing this character and I was in this court scene, and at the end of the scene, it's like she wails she lets out this wail and I was like oh god how am I gonna do that <laughs> truthfully yeah and um but obviously I have my teacher there in the class and so she made me like do the scene I was sitting on like a chair and I had to kind of wind my body around the chair so I felt really restricted so someone and we we weren't meant to learn the scene so someone had to hold the script up in front of me as I was acting and so first we did it that way. And then she did it another way where, as I was doing it, the rest of the class were like banging on the floor to make, just cause it just adds like atmosphere. Yeah. And then, yeah, I think after like, I think, yeah, by the second, by my second run through, like I got to the point and I welled and I was crying and I was like, yeah, this is real. And then it's like, okay, but on the day, there wouldn't be anyone banging on the floor and I can't tie myself to a chair. So then you just have to think of ways to recreate that or figure out, not even think of ways, but yeah, just figure out. How to unlock that door. Yeah, how to unlock that door. Because once the beautiful thing is, is that you can do it. Yeah. That's the best feeling ever. It's like, oh, I can do, I, I can do it. If I couldn't do it, none of these things would have even helped me. Mm. But I can do been it. Numb. <laughs> yeah, I would have been like, no. Where? Where? <laughs> <What>? <laughs> exactly. And once, yeah, then it's just about figuring out how to unlock that, which is the difficult thing, especially when you're on set and you're being moved from, okay, we're ready for you now when you've just eaten five minutes ago. Yeah, and the first AD is like, we only have two takes of this shot. Yeah, so and we now have to you make get sure there. we get it, okay? You don't have the time to be able to do that. On, when you're on someone else's time, maybe it's different on my own sets. But when you're like acting in someone else's work and you're n new, it's really hard to be brave enough to ask for that time. Um, and most of the time you'll get it if you ask for it, but it's just being <laughs> brave enough to be like, actually can I have five minutes? Um, and most directors will say yes. Because they know, yeah, like, the best yeah, the they know the importance of the film. But we just get so used to being like, yeah, I'm good, I'm fine. Yeah, okay, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. Um, so, yeah. It's interesting to imagine craft mastery as the exploitation of one moment. Is it the being able to stretch it out and make it last as long as you want? Or is it being able to access it at any time? I would choose access over being able to stretch it out for as long as I can because then at least I know how to yeah <laughs> if I lose it after five minutes I know how to get it back that's a powerful thing to hear somebody say mm. that the it's not even even if it's something like the guitar even if it's something like piano singing 
writing, acting, anything. It's about going to that place of like real emotional resonance.、Mm-hmm. It's not scales. It's not techniques.、Yeah. Even though it's part of it, and you you need tools to be able to express it, and you need the knowledge. But all the mastery of your craft entails is being able to. Dip in and out of that place. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And make it last, you know. Yeah, and I think you have to trust yourself in that because if something happens in your life, like having a baby, for example, and it takes you away for a matter of months, you can't then be like, oh, because I haven't done this for three months, now I can't, I can't continue anymore. You have to trust yourself that, and remember how to reaccess that thing. Whatever it may be,、well, I guess that's the importance of rituals, right? Yeah, isn't that? Yeah, yeah. That, that really clarifies for me the necessity of rituals because it's not. It's it's about having a map to get back to that place.、Mm-hmm. Like even for you, if it was banging on the floor, if that worked for you every time, that would be amazing. Yeah. But developing your own ritual of、mm-hmm. how to get back into that place,、mm-hmm. but then it's difficult, I guess, to not. Just rely on the ritual itself.、Mm-hmm. Being like, well, I've done that, so why aren't I there? Yeah, you do have to change it, especially with if you're doing something、uh, that the res the end result is some kind of emotional outburst, because your body learns really quickly.、Um, and so, yeah, how many times would I have been able to do that and still have the same result? I don't know. Probably not a lot of times,、um, because. There's only one first time of experience something, experiencing something, and that's what you react to. That's what your body reacts to, and then once you're used, once you know what's coming subconsciously, you probably won't have the same. You won't have the same reaction. So yeah, it's about finding different things, a few different things that you don't wear out. Yeah. Like, if I was an actor that always recalled emotional trauma, if I kept recalling when my dad died, it would eventually not. Do anything for me. Yeah, you'd, you'd get over it. Yeah, because that's I guess in the acting process, you're reacting to it and you're resolving it. Yeah, like you're. Let's say you have to cry and you go to that place. There's only so many tears you can cry before you're like, that doesn't do it. it, it no, exactly. Do it anymore, it's transformed.、Mm-hmm. It's almost like a. I remember you posted something once that really resonated with me, about it was a line from a book and it was,、uh, an actor should never do anything with a resting heart rate.、Mm-hmm. I guess biologically speaking, it's the it's almost like the fright or flight, which is novelty. The only thing that can create that is a new experience,、mm-hmm. which then also which kind of debunks the idea of a ritual in my mind、mm. because it's like you can have everyone banging on the floor again, and you can be tied to a chair, and it's it's just going to be an abstraction of something that's already come. So your、yeah. reaction to it is going to be less than sincere. Yeah. So it's like really difficult to get a but ritual. But that yeah, the rest and but then that. The you making sure you don't have a rest and heart rate、mm. is a sen- is a ritual in a sense、True. because it's like okay cool before I do the scene I'm gonna jog around this room twice at least then I know I'm like because most of the time acting like let's say, it's drama do you know what I mean so you're always pretending to be in situations that you would have a high heart rate for whether、yeah. it's an awkward conversation do you know what I mean even so, me telling my mum that I was pregnant I my heart. Right in that moment was like your best performance yet. I could have had a heart attack. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like the fastest, and you and you feel it. And so then, if you're going into a scene like that, for example, and you just sat up from a chair, you're not gonna 
feel what you need to feel to have a truthful performance. Mm. So you need to get your heart at least up to a certain point. So then as a director, does that make you know that, oh, they might, my actors might not know it, but I know the best thing to do is to make this situation as realistic for them as possible. Yeah. Or as novel for them as possible. Instead of, because knowing that, it's irresponsible to then go up. No, of course, but that's what makes the difference in direct it, directors. Yeah. Because in rehearsals for Eli, um, I'm sure it was Eli. I can't remember. One one of my things. Baby I, brain. I always made. Oh no, we were like because we had the development stuff. We had to go to Rada, the drama school, and actors came in to workshop some scenes. So it was like practice for us. So when we were workshopping with these actors, um, I made them like do laps in okay. the room before going into the scene. Um, because I felt that's what the scene needed from my own experience. And maybe the actor doesn't like working that way, but then that's like the director's prerogative. Do you know what I mean? Of course, be collaborative and see what helps them. But you can also, you can always say, oh, why don't you try doing this and see if it works for you? Um, And yeah, that's the difference in directors, I guess, because some people would never ask you to do that and some would. And that's what creates, yeah, differences. It also creates court cases and stuff. (laughs) I sm- <laughs> yeah like I twisted my ankle because she made me <laughs> yeah right run before the scene it's, it, it does it, it does explain you know how some directors get tarnished with a brush of being like brutal or He's mad mad She's crazy or lack of compassion yeah. or like a uh, slave driver or something like Lynn Ramsey's got a terrible reputation mm-hmm. in the game but she demands a certain performance from her characters yeah. like they have to be on edge which means i have to keep directing them to the edge yeah 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 and there's such a fine like you can't be in well you can if you want to make you know uh definitely maybe on the notebook or something yeah you know but if you want your films to have any kind of energy or intensity you have to provoke your yeah you have to your actors yeah you have to provoke your because characters. as much as like um as much experience as you has have as an actor, you always want help. Mm. Like, it's hard. I always want to be... Like, those are the moments when I'm acting. It's like, I enjoy being having some kind of spoon-feeding because I'm like, yeah, help me suggest something else that yeah. will get me here. Frighten me or yeah, stimulate yeah, me. Yeah, help me get there. Um, and sometimes it's like, I did that Maverick Sabre video. Yeah. And there was a scene on the floor and I had to cry. And I was like... I was thinking about it the whole shoot, even before we got there. I thought, how am I going to do this? Um, And the one thing that helped me in that moment was Sean, the director, saying, you have all the time in the world. And, like, that helped me the most. He didn't really have to do... He didn't really have to provoke me in any way, I think. Because the pressure and, like... The pressure of me feeling like I was on someone else's time was what would have caused me to not be able to get there. But as soon as he said, like, we're on your time, I was able to just be like, okay, let me just lie the on relief, this floor. The yeah. floods through yeah, and brings me, everything else Exactly. With it. So there's so many different ways that you can do that. Um, but I think when it's, something, when it's something tender like that, I just think, yeah, you need to... The actor needs to know, like, this is fine. We're going to... We're going to get there. And I'm here like with you to help you. Um, yeah. And that's uh, your partner's job on the day <laughs> of arrival. Yes, on Labour Day. 
it's going to direct you to the greatest performance <laughs> of your life. The whole rest of your career, you're going to be chasing that performance. Uh, I'm really going to think, I remember, I'm, I feel like I'm going to be aware of like how I feel. It's weird when you're an actor, like when my mom told me that my dad died, I was suddenly so aware of how I felt in that moment. Like it was as if I was like, oh, let me remember how I feel in this moment. It was so weird. It was like one of the first thoughts that came to my head. What was? Processing how I felt in that moment. So it's almost like a detachment. Yeah, I was like, how do I feel right now? I don't know. Maybe it's, I don't know if it's because of like all the acting stuff I've done, where you're always trying to access those moments. It just made me, one of my thoughts, I was like, standing there. Okay, it's kind of like I saw myself. Was this when your mum told you about your dad? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like I saw myself like an outer body kind of thing. And I was looking down on myself and I thought, what am I doing right now? How do I feel? How do I respond? Yeah, how am I? What, like what? these are those moments in life where you're like, <laughs> how do you respond to this? So, And it was, and I feel like I'm going to be like that in the with the baby. What choice did you make in that moment? I didn't cry straight away. I just stood there. And I remember just asking her, asked her like three questions before it kind of hit me, before I kind of accepted that it was true. It was almost like I had to know these three facts or whatever they were before I could be like, oh, okay, I can now, I believe it. And I think I sat down. I don't think I, I didn't cry like straight away, which is um, actually, which was use, is useful for to know just in life. And when you're... What, what's the lesson there? In, in acting, like oh, okay. in acting stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, like, it's not and straight need, to hysteria. Yeah, yeah, exactly. People don't do that. Um, Don't always do that. Mm. I was watching A Confession on ITV. It's about these... It's a true story about this guy who um, kills these two young women in a taxi. But basically, they tell the two mums that they found the body of their daughter and their reactions are so completely different. Like one kind of just sits down and the other one, as soon as the police knock on her door, she opens the door, she's already in hysterics. As soon as that, they haven't even said anything. Um, but yeah, just, it just made me, it just made me think about the difference, differences in reactions, I guess. And the choices that are, open to us in those moments yeah yeah and as overwhelming as they can be also liberating i guess mm -hmm. i read a, a psychological study that um a scientist did in world war Two, and he would go in the fighter planes with the pilots and most of them were like mid-20s had no clue what was doing what was going on all they knew was like how to fly the plane or how to shoot the gun mm. or whatever. And he observed all of their characteristics and personalities and kind of uh, labelled them was like, that's the nervous one, that's the talkative one. Yeah. Basically observed how they all reacted under pressure and put them in like archetypes mm -hmm. so that he could distinguish them and also have a point of reference for what would happen next, which was whenever they were under extreme pressure, extreme stress and extreme trauma, the plane's been shot down, 
some play, uh, like a airstrikes happening or they are responsible for a lot of people's lives, all of their archetypal roles, all their characters faded away mm -hmm. and they all became ice cold, present, yeah. in the best position to make the best possible decision mm -hmm. and was just like in these moments of... Fight and flight. Yeah, but I guess it's moments of departure. Yeah. Because you're leaving a part of your life mm -hmm. and you're stepping into something completely unknown mm -hmm. and you're aware that that's happening. Yeah. And you're presented with the limitless opportunities. And for them, it was like, stay calm. Do the best you can do. Mm -hmm. Respond to this in the best way and the most responsible way that you can. Mm -hmm. Which is interesting, like in your moment, which I guess is like, one of the biggest turning points of your life. Yeah. You have that same detachment, but not with the negative connotations yeah, of the yeah. word. I guess the necessary detachment to make the best possible decision. Yeah, definitely. Like I really, it was just, and I always, and I remember thinking at the time, like this is weird. Why am I detached in that? Yeah. In the non-negative sense, but it's true. It's like you literally, cause I don't even remember who I was before I got that news. Like I don't rem I don't remember. It's it's like the same. Like as soon as I found out I was pregnant, I don't know who I. W Before that moment, I was someone different, and um. Yeah, you do. You have this like overwhelming understanding that your life is about to change, and you just have this yeah this weird kind of out of body moment. That's like, oh now, <laughs> now I'm stepping over this line, yeah, into something new. And what do I do with that? And how does this new person react to that news? Who do I want to be? Yeah. Yeah. It's weird because you have these decisions, but there's always only one decision you're going to make. I like to think of alternate versions of myself sometimes. Yeah. I yeah, like me too. Pour one out for the version of me that <laughs> didn't make it back from some moments or yeah, yeah, yeah. went left in other moments. It's um, It's comforting to know that like, I'm where I am mm -hmm. and how different things could be in every moment too yeah even in the bad moments even in the good moments it creates humility in the good moments and extreme gratitude in the bad moments and I think that's uh, a very profound way to end our conversation yes lessons lessons and in like four weeks, you'll be a completely new person I know, again. Crazy. And there'll be another new person. Yeah. To come and goo goo gaga all on the microphone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you for coming and chatting. Thank to you me. for having me. I wish you all of the best. Thank you. I think you're going to do a fantastic job. I hope so. I believe so. Part of me was hoping for an on air birth, but then. <laughs> Also, once I thought about that, I was like, I'm not equipped for any of that. That so, would be, yeah. That would have been mental. Glad that didn't not, happen. Not the best thing. No, because you don't want to give birth north of the river when you're from south, because that is a nightmare. No, we've got to keep it <laughs> south. <laughs> Thank you for coming to talk to me. I Thank appreciate you. it. The end. The end.